0: This morning, we're reading from the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 16, beginning in verse 1. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, The Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abram agreed with Sarai's proposal. So Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abram as a wife. This happened ten years after Abram had settled in the land of Canaan. So Abram had sexual relations with Hagar, and she became pregnant. But when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress, Sarai, with contempt. Then Sarai said to Abram, This is all your fault. I put my servant into your arms, but now that she's pregnant, she treats me with contempt. The Lord will show who's wrong, you or me. Abram replied, Look, she's your servant, so deal with her as you see fit. Then Sarai treated Hagar so harshly that she finally ran away. The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness "'along the road to Shur. "'The angel said to her, "'Hagar, Sarai's servant, "'where have you come from and where are you going?' "'I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai,' she replied. "'The angel of the Lord said to her, "'Return to your mistress and submit to her authority.' "'Then he added, "'I will give you more descendants than you can count.' "'And the angel also said, "'You are now pregnant.' and will give birth to a son. You are to name him Ishmael, which means God hears. For the Lord has heard your cry of distress. This son of yours will be a wild man, as untamed as a wild donkey. He will raise his fist against everyone, and everyone will be against him. Yes, he will live in open hostility against all his relatives. Therefore, Hagar used another name, to refer to the Lord, who had spoken to her. She said, You are the God who sees me. She also said, Have I truly seen the one who sees me? So that well was named Bir Lahai Roi, which means well of the living one who sees me. It can still be found between Kadesh and Bered. May we be blessed this morning by the reading and the hearing of these words, this scripture. Let's pray. Good morning, Lord. We thank you for this opportunity that you've given us to be able to gather together like this and to to worship you, to sing praises, to, to enjoy each other's company, to wish each other a happy new year. Some of us, we haven't seen each other Uh, in in over a week. It's just good to be here. We share joy and we share concerns. We pray for those that are on our hearts because we're called and we're blessed to be in community for all that means. And this morning as a community, we turn together to the scriptures to hear from you, to reflect on on the words that the saints that have come before us took time to write down as they thought about what it means to call you God and to call themselves your people so that we today can ask ourselves these same questions. What do we mean when we call you God? And what does it mean to think of ourselves as your people? This morning I pray for a clarity of thought. So many thoughts running through my mind. I pray that you would order them. And that the things that I should speak, I do. And the things that I shouldn't, I hold within. So that during this moment, this time of our celebration together, that that we might experience you, be blessed by you, be transformed by you. That you might hide me behind your cross. So that we can experience Your grace and Your mercy, Your love, Your peace, Your joy, Your justice and Your righteousness. For all these things, in Your most holy and precious name. Amen. So today is um, Epiphany. Well, today's a Sunday that we celebrate Epiphany of know Corey will get technical with me be like, it's not actually Epiphany. Um, it's Epiphany Sunday. And um, on Epiphany, depending on what tradition you're a part of, we're part of the Western church tradition where we celebrate the uh, arrival of the wise men. And so what does that mean? A lot of times what we think about when we think about the arrival of the wise men is it's that moment where we celebrate the incarnation um, being revealed to Gentiles. Gentiles show up, and so it's this this idea of of God revealing God's self to the rest of humanity. That's who the wise men represent. They represent the rest of the people, which is about 99% of us, Um, and so I thought it would be appropriate to begin a sermon series on Epiphany Sunday called simply, God. God. And I want to spend the next three weeks thinking about what, who, how do we experience God? Um, and so this week, I want to talk about God being with us. I felt like that was a really appropriate place, again, for us to start on Epiphany Sunday. Right? The wise men come and they, they see Jesus. Jesus is the... Uh, The incarnate one, the one who is God with us, revealed to the Gentiles. So here we go. God with us. Now, in order to jump into this, I want to go back and share a little bit about what happened during the holidays. Um, So we were supposed to fly out. My family, we were going to fly out the day after Christmas. right? We all were together. We celebrated Christmas Eve together. Hopefully you got to watch some of the Christmas thing that we put online uh, I, and um, it actually turned out way better than I thought it was going to. I thought it was going to be really cheesy, but it actually was really good, and I think that's thanks to all the, all the wonderful singers and the musicians, because my part and Corey's part, that was totally cheesy. But the rest of it was really good. And so anyway, so got to watch that on, on uh, Sunday. Then Monday morning, our plan was we were going to get up, and we were going to fly out, and we were going to fly to New York to go see Denise's sister and her husband and spend the week with them and then, dr- and then fly back on New Year's Day. That was the plan. But does anybody know what happened on the 26th? Anybody watch the news, right? Um, so we woke up to snow, and which is fine. We have an all-wheel drive vehicle. Denise does. I don't. But, um, and uh, I kept checking, and it was like, yeah, your flight's on time. Your flight's on time. By the way, I don't know if I need to tell you this. We were flying southwest. So, <clears throat> so, so I kept checking, and it was like, yeah, it's on time. It's on time. So we get to the airport. We get there. And um, I dropped Denise and the kids off. I was like, you guys go to the kiosk. You get us checked in. I'll go park. I'll meet you. We'll go through. And then the kids can get breakfast. It'll be fine. So I drop, I drop them off. I go around uh, to economy parking. And I'm getting ready to drop off the car. And all of a sudden, my phone starts to, to ring. And so I, I look at it. And it's Denise. like, "What?" So I pick it up. And she's like, our, it says our flight's been canceled. I just put our number in. Our confirmation number into the kiosk said our flight's been canceled. I said, maybe I gave you the wrong number. Hold on. And so I park, right? Yeah, and I pull it up. I pull it up on the internet. And I was like, oh my gosh, it's been canceled. So I was like, all right, I'll come back. I'll pick you up. Because I've, I've never had, in 51 years, I've never had a flight canceled. Yeah, right? And so, yeah, I've had them delayed, but never canceled. I didn't know what to do. And so I was like, I'll pick you up, and we'll go home. And so I go, I pick them up, we get on I-40 to drive back to Mount Juliet, and I'm like, well, let's just go. Let's just go. I mean, we're all packed. We've got the week off, and so we did. There's more stuff, but it's boring. And so <laughs> we drove, and we spent the week up there, and then uh, we, of course, then have to drive back. The kids flew back with Denise's mom, so they, the interesting thing is they only beat us by three hours. Yeah. So uh, they flew back. We drove back. But here's the thing. And this is what I wanted to talk about. All that to say this. On the way back through Virginia, I saw a sign. Right? I guess one of the good things about driving instead of flying is I had more time to think. Good or bad. I don't know. Right? Um, But in fact, I don't think we... like The whole way up, we didn't even listen to the radio. And the whole way back, I think I listened to the radio for like maybe an hour. Uh, I just... I like to think. And... um, and so I was, think, I was thinking about the sermon. I was thinking about God. I do that a lot. Um, I was thinking about, well, who is God? What is God? When I say God, what do I mean? Who is Jesus? What do I believe about Jesus? Are the things that I believe, are they consistent with each other? Right? Like, um, and I think I was having this conversation this morning with, with Pamela. These are all things we should be thinking about, I, I think. It's just in my opinion. We should be evaluating and continually challenging in order to grow. Um, And so anyway, as I'm driving through Virginia, I look up and I see a sign. And it says this. um, it, It wasn't like deep. It just said this. Jesus saves you from your sin. And pretty straightforward. But I wondered what that meant. What does that mean? Jesus saves you from your sin. We say it in church. We're like, yeah, I believe it. But what do you, like, what do you believe? What does that mean to say? Right, I started thinking about, so what does that, what does that mean? If, if, I, if, I, if I'm not a person of faith and I'm driving down the road and I see a sign that says, Jesus saves you from your sin, what does that mean to me? Did we, like, have you ever thought about that? Like the little things that we say, the little, the little quips that we throw out. What, is it, like, what does someone else think that means? Because there's some really loaded words in that statement. What is, first of all, who is Jesus? And I'm willing to bet if we, if we talked here about who Jesus is, we would come up with even different things among us as followers of Jesus saves is a loaded word. Like, what does that mean to be saved? And what does the word sin mean? And so we can put it up on a billboard. Jesus saves you from your sin. Great. But am I actually communicating anything to anybody? And if I am, is it what I intended to communicate? Or are they hearing something completely different than what I initially meant? And then on top of that, forget even like uh, people that aren't of faith. People of faith, right? As I'm driving down the road, as a person who I I consider myself to be a person of faith, I hope you do too. I mean, I've kind of dedicated my life to it. Um, And but that could mean something completely different to me than it does to to Marvin, right, or to Kay, or to you. What does it mean? Because here's the thing, if that sign simply means that you get to go to heaven, like, hey, listen, Jesus, if you believe in Jesus, you get to go to heaven, right? If that's what that meant, I actually believe the person that put the sign up completely missed the point. Now, I don't know what they meant. I honestly don't. But I think that we have to at least acknowledge the fact that throughout the Bible, when people are quote-unquote saved, it has implications for this life in this world. And I want to look at the example here of Hagar for a moment and think about what it means to be saved that moment when you realize that God is with you. I think it's important for us to right off the bat acknowledge the fact that Hagar is the victim of abuse. Hagar is abused by Abram and Sarai, by their manipulation, and their desire to meet their own goals. They use, Sarah, they use Hagar as a, an object. Do not view her as a subject. They constantly refer to her as your servant, my servant, my property. You do with her as you wish. She's your property. Sarai gives her to Abram. And then when that results in her becoming pregnant, which was the plan to begin with, right? That was the plan to begin with. The situation goes from bad to worse. They got exactly what they wanted and they didn't actually want it. It says that she began to treat Sarai with contempt. Do you blame her? Do you read that and be like, well, she shouldn't have because she was the slave? No. We're like, of course she's going to treat her with contempt. She's been abused. How many people are like, yes, may I have another? And it's so funny that Sarai gets upset, offended by that, almost surprised by the fact that she's going to now treat her with contempt. Do they even think for a moment, does she even want to be pregnant? So then Sarai blames Abram for the messed up situation. And Abram points out that it was Sarai's servant in the first place. Well, she's your property. You let me use your property. This is, think about how horrible this is. This is a horrible story. So basically what he's saying is, it's your problem, not mine. You made your bed, now you get to lie in it. So then Sarai begins to abuse Hagar even more. So they abuse her. It goes exactly the way that it was going to go. And so they get more angry and abuse her more. See, again, they fail to see Hagar as a human being. Deserving of kindness and respect. A person who's made in the image of God, who we're told that just 16 chapters before this. And during all of this, there's this suggestion made that God will show who is wrong. Did you catch that? Right? So, who is wrong here? You, Abram, or me, Sarai? Interestingly, God seems to be saying in this story that they're both in the wrong, and he sides with Hagar. God will show who's wrong, you or me. And God says, yeah, you're right. You're right. You both are. Isn't it interesting that they don't even think for a moment that maybe Hagar's in the right? God will show who's right between the two connivers. They sit in such a position of privilege that they can't even fathom the idea that maybe God's for the other. Do we ever find ourselves sitting in such a situation of privilege that we can't even fathom that God isn't for us? Because here's the thing, as I read through the scriptures, it seems to me that God always sides with those who are being mistreated, abused, and persecuted. Always. God sees Hagar. Not only does he see, he hears. Right? That's the first thing. I heard your cries. So she calls him Elroi and renames the place Bir Lachai Roi. She's been abused by Abram and Sarai, and God meets her where she is and promises to bless her despite her circumstances. And that's not going to be easy, because her circumstances stink. God forgive me when I think I have it bad. where Abram and Sarai have failed to see Hagar, God sees her, and that gives her the strength to continue. You may even say in that moment, she was saved. Did her circumstances change? Did her perspective? So she goes back, and here's the interesting thing, right? For a while... She seems to be accepted as part of the family. If you look at the contest, interestingly, the very next story is the changing of the names of Abram to Abraham and Sarai to Sarah. It's the very next thing that happens. She goes back, it, it says that she gives Abraham a, uh, Abram a son. There's a familial term being used. It's like she has become part of the family, so much so that God changes the names. Of the people. There's a change that happens because God sees Hagar, there is a change that happens to Abram and to Sarai. Does this indicate that there has been a change in them? I think so. Because after that, we read about how. Abraham is prepared to intercede on behalf of the people of Sodom. So before, he doesn't even see this woman as a person. He sees her as a slave. And then the very next story, after his name is changed, is he's ready to go to God and intercede on behalf of people he's never even met. So not only does God save Hagar by seeing her and providing her comfort and peace in her darkest moment, God also saves Abraham and Sarah and helps them see the world and the people in it differently. Maybe that's what it means to be saved. This is what happens when we realize that God is with us. We're able to rise above our circumstances. We're no longer defined. Here's the thing. You're no longer defined by others and your situations. You're no longer defined by other people's opinions of you or the situations in which you find yourself. That is being saved. How freeing would it be to not have to worry about what everyone thinks about you? How much time and energy do we spend making sure that people think the right things about us, think about us the right way? How many people are we willing to slander so that other people will think highly of us? Isn't that a twisted thing? But we'll do it. Why? Because we value what other people think of us. Why? When, When we know how much God loves us, How much time do we spend worrying about our circumstances I'm not saying that they're going to be like somehow everything now turns up roses it doesn't it didn't continue to read poor Hagar but we find that we are God's beloved we're seen and heard and valued just as we are. But here's the other thing. You can't pick and choose. What I mean by that is one day when things are bad, I can't choose to experience salvation that day, right? And my identity is now found in God. And then another day when things are going really well, I decide that, well, today my identity is going to be found in my circumstances, Or today my identity is going to be found in other people's opinions of me because right now everybody thinks highly of me. You you can't continue to fluctuate back and forth because if you do, you are a slave to your sin. You either completely accept that you are loved by God and that's the thing that matters or you don't. You cannot embrace the love of God one day and say that is the thing that matters to me and then the next day chase after everyone else's opinion of you. You stay faithful to the one that loves you no matter your circumstances, no matter what. That's the response to the salvation. Faithful to the one that loves you no matter what. And I think, though, this picking and choosing is what we see here in this story. It's interesting to me. Isaac, Abraham and Sarah's son, settles in a little place that you may have heard of called Bir Isn't that interesting? Yet, it's also the birth of Isaac that causes problems once again for Hagar, And now, not just Hagar, but also Ishmael. Continue to read the story. This afternoon, the Titans game was yesterday. Go back and read the story. I think the point is this, that there's a recurring problem. There's this vicious cycle that we experience in our lives and throughout the scriptures. We have a constant need for saving. And sometimes the very thing that we need to be saved from is our own good reputation and our own fortunate circumstances. Because it's in those moments when we don't think we need it. It's in those moments that we actually start to think that we're the ones that get to determine who's saved and who's not. It's in those moments that we become Abram and Sarai rather than grafted into the family of Abraham.